0: Well, we are in a series called Life Hacks. We're making our way through. This is part four out of five. Next week, we'll finish up. And a life hack, as you know by now, is just any action that solves a problem or simplifies a task or somehow reduces frustration in your everyday life. But this series is more than about how to remember where you put your keys or a tip for cooking or whatever. The book of Proverbs is God's life hacks manual. And it contains some very practical, very useful tips for everyday life. It is the greatest how-to manual ever written. And Solomon, as we've learned, he presents that wisdom typically in memorable one-liners. They're concise statements of truth or they're proverbs. They are knowledge in a nutshell. They are condensed common sense. They are definitely pictures worth pondering. And my favorite definition that I came across studying for this series a few weeks back is that a proverb is a short sentence based on long experience. Now, one of the things that makes all of Solomon's one-liners so memorable is the unique cast of characters who inhabit the pages of the book of Proverbs. And we've all met them before. They are citizens of your city. They are relatives in your family. They are friends and they're co-workers and they're maybe the members of your church. They are you and they are me. They are people, everyday ordinary people, and they're on a search for wisdom. They're just trying to do better in their everyday lives, but sometimes, like with you and me, they are their own worst enemy. It's easy to look at somebody else and say, they're their own worst enemy, but have you ever looked in the mirror and thought... You are your own worst enemy, because some days it's true. Now, three of these unique characters are found in a single verse in the very first chapter of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 22. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Now, we've met all of these characters already as we've been taking our journey through this book. We've met the simple, we've met the scorner, and we've met the fool. They're everywhere on the pages of Proverbs. And they're just three of this unique cast of characters that uh, they just pop up uh, at random, it seems, in the book. But there's a message behind what Solomon writes. The first one is the simple. Now, a simple person in Proverbs isn't stupid. They're not dumb. They just lack life experience. And that's why we see the word simple often paired with the word youth in Proverbs. It's not just life experience that they're lacking. It's spiritual life experience that they're lacking. Simple people, uh, we'd use the word, they're naive. They just sometimes don't get it. Proverbs even says in chapter 14 and verse 15 that the simple believeth every word. You can tell them just about anything. And that's exactly why simple people, people who lack experience, people who either haven't been at it for a long time, or maybe they're in a new stage of life, a new phase of life. And that's when they're susceptible to temptation and peer pressure and evil influences. Now, here's the problem with being simple. And everybody in this room, if you're not simple tonight, you have been simple before. So it would be perfectly appropriate, and we might even do it in a moment, to turn to somebody next to you and say, you're simple. See, in Proverbs, that's not an insult. It's a statement of fact. I didn't tell you to do it, but some of you, you're just enjoying it. In Proverbs, it's just a statement of fact that sometimes you're you're simple. You lack experience. Let me tell you something. If you're a teenager over in the youth chapel tonight... Or if you're a young 20-something at college, um, you're automatically simple. It's just, it's, you don't have any life experience yet. I know they tell you at university that you are smart, that you are the smartest people, and that's why you can deconstruct things that the human race has believed for thousands of years and just turf them all and create something new. That's simple. That's simple. You just lack experience. You don't know how things work yet. They tell us, and it gives us great hope, that your brain is not fully formed until you're about 25. So if you have a teenager at home, that's what's wrong. <laughs> They're just simple. They're simple. It's, it's easy. Simple is not an insult. Simple is a statement of fact. They lack experience. If you're a new parent in this room, you may not be simple at your job, but you're simple with your child. Because it's new. You lack experience. If you've never been a parent before. If you've recently taken a new job or made a career move. Or you've recently started living for Jesus. In those areas, it's not an insult. You're simple. You lack experience. And that's all that Proverbs means. Now, here's the problem with being simple. For most people, they've got just enough stubbornness and just enough human pride that if they're simple, they won't admit it. They will not admit that they don't know what they should know or what they need to know. Or maybe they don't even realize that they're simple. And and the other problem with being simple is that by the time you figure out that you're simple, you won't be simple anymore. (laughs) Because life will have beat you around a little bit. Um, And by then, unfortunately, you may carry a lot of baggage and have a few scars from the mistakes you've made in life. See a simple person just lacks experience. They don't know the difference between right and wrong yet in that area of their life and that's why sometimes they make dumb decisions and this character pops up everywhere in Proverbs. They think they have life figured out because the simple person has never seen the long-term effects of anything. That's why simple people love credit cards. They've never seen the long-term effects of credit card debt. That's why simple people get addictive behaviors going and why simple people are involved in sexual sin. They've never seen the long-term effects of any of that. Now, here's a statement that I like. It doesn't come from Proverbs, but it could be in there. Our good decisions come from experience. Our good decisions come from experience. And where does experience come from? Experience comes from our bad decisions. And some of you, just that's just a blank. (laughs) Your good decisions, you make good decisions because you have experience, but you gain experience by learning from all your bad decisions. And here's our problem. Our human pride prevents us from admitting that we're simple, that we're inexperienced, that we're a little naive. Our human pride prevents us from asking for help guidance to negotiate life and I'll say it again you can be simple at any age and in any area of life any place where you lack experience in doing something you're simple you you lack experience and that's exactly why Jesus taught us that adults should become as little children in navigating our spiritual lives because in that important area we need a lot of help and that's okay Now, we already talked about this one a few uh, lessons ago, but in Proverbs chapter 7, a simple young man, a naive young man, an inexperienced young man, he has a tragic encounter with a strange, immoral woman. Because he lacks experience, he thinks he will be the exception. Because he thinks he can escape the consequences, he follows her into the darkness, Because he thinks sin is just a game, he doesn't even see the trap that temptation has laid for him. And the Bible says with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. She didn't have to hold a gun to his head or a knife to his back. It was just with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. She convinced him to do exactly what she wanted him to do. She led him into temptation and sin. You see, simple people, they're susceptible to flattery. They're susceptible to anybody that comes along with what sounds like a good idea or they play to their ego. And simple people are susceptible, but they don't realize they're playing with a fickle fire that can burn them badly. Now, brothers and sisters, it is normal to want to be accepted and to want to be approved. That's, that's normal. And we want approval from our peer group At any age, not just teenagers, at any age. But please remember that man's approval is a moving target. You can never hit it consistently or permanently because it's a moving target. They may approve of you and accept you and like you today, but they'll change next week and you're still there trying to gain their approval. Living your life being scared of rejection is exhausting If you live your life just trying to suck up approval from everybody around you, let me tell you, you will never get enough from somebody else to fill that bottomless pit of need that is in your life. So you might as well just realize, number one, God is enough for you. And number two, God created you so you are enough. You don't need somebody else to meet all of your needs and fill all of your emptiness. This is what often happens in marriage relationships. And we hear this. It's just garbage. Uh, he doesn't meet my needs. She doesn't meet my needs. They're not created to do that. God is created to meet your needs. He, he's the, the God of, of all of creation. He's the God of the universe and he will fill that emptiness. And your spouse, no matter how perfect they try to be, they can never meet every need that you have in your mind, in your heart, in your ego, in your life. They, they weren't created to do that. And, and so people, we, we hear that sometimes. Um, it, was, <laughs> it was years ago in this very sanctuary that there was somebody, I got word that they were heading down that road. My spouse doesn't meet my needs. I got word. Uh, So I left the altar service in charge of Pastor Jack and I marched my little self down off the platform and as inconspicuously as I could, I marched straight up to this particular person and I said, come with me. And we went into the office and we sat down. (laughs) I was much younger then. I probably wouldn't have the courage now. I slammed my hand on the desk and I said, I am so tired of hearing he doesn't meet my needs. She doesn't meet my needs. They're still together. It's amazing. They turned their little self around, and they went back home, and it was fine. Uh, that very night It was amazing. Nothing I do usually works that fast, but it did that time. Living your life being scared of somebody's rejection is exhausting, and living your life needing somebody's approval all the time, that's like handing over the keys of your life to them. And they're going to drive your life. And so if they like you this week, you're going to be happy. And if they don't like you next week, you're going to be depressed. That's a terrible, terrible way to live. And if you live that way, you start to make all of your decisions based on somebody else. And you will start to compromise what you believe. And you will even start to present some kind of fake image that pleases somebody else. So in effect, you're compromising who you are. And I've got two words for you on that one, social media. You try to present your best face and your best self. See, the thing that makes a friendship or a relationship so so great is the very same thing that makes a friendship or a relationship so dangerous. We're all repelled by rejection and we're all attracted by acceptance. So when we're around friends who accept us, we just drop our guard. And we let everything kind of... Go And and it's then that we're more open, most open to influence, whether that's good influence or bad. And so I would ask you a question tonight. Who have you subconsciously given control of your life to that you wouldn't consciously give control of your life to? You wouldn't consciously walk up to that person and say, I want you to run all my decisions and I want you to control uh, what I do and what I like and how I appear and and I want you to control. You wouldn't do that with somebody and yet some of you subconsciously do it with somebody because you're living your life trying to please somebody besides God. Here's what Proverbs says. The fear of man bringeth a snare. It's a trap. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The last half of that verse is the antidote to the first half of that verse. The approval of people is controlling, but the approval of God is freeing. You are enough in Jesus, period, end of sentence, End of story. That's why the apostles could look at the council that was persecuting them and say, we ought to obey God rather than men. It is God who controls the outcome of your life, not the people that you are seeking approval from. We need to care more about what God thinks than we do about what they think. And it has never been so sinister as it is now in our world that people are literally being badgered into saying things that they don't even believe just so they don't get mocked in the public sphere. I read a report just yesterday, a group of doctors that that they have grave concerns about all kinds of sex change, uh, gender manipulation therapies that are going on. They have all kinds of concerns, but they will not say a word. They meet in secret. They have secret meetings. They have private groups where they discuss this. They can't say, it publicly for fear of their job that's the world we're living in it's never been so sinister now let me bring it down to just your life and your every day it can be the same in your life where you won't be your real self because you're afraid of what somebody would think you won't live according to God's word because you're afraid somebody might mock you walked out of this service yesterday Precious home going for a precious lady. And Brother Phillips, I just went to shake his hand in the lobby and he hugged my neck and just went to talking in tongues because the Lord was holding him up and holding him together. And I thank God for that. At that moment, he didn't care what anybody thought, and I didn't care what anybody thought. I don't care if it's proper protocol to speak in tongues at a funeral service. If you'll embrace God's wisdom and his boundaries, you can overcome the temptations of the world and the flesh and the devil. You don't have to make mistakes that will last a lifetime. You can get it right the first time around, even if you lack experience. Here's what you gotta pray. God, I don't fully understand this, but it's in your word, so I'm gonna trust you. I don't fully get this. I don't fully understand why the church teaches this or why you ask us to do this. I don't really get it yet, God, but I'm going to trust you. And if you will do that, God will put a blessing on your life like you can't imagine. There's a, a verse in Proverbs that we sometimes quote. It says, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. You you can believe what you want. I am convinced that the precious pioneer preachers and the elder saints that handed this apostolic movement to us, I am convinced, number one, they weren't dumb people, and number two, they were very anointed godly people. They had this figured out pretty good. You say, well, they're a little naive because they lived in a much simpler world. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. The problems that we face are just exponentially uh, more publicized today. There's always been sin there's always been wickedness there's always been perversion it's worse because we've got it on our phones and on our computers and because we're in the end times and it's starting to accelerate but I am convinced that the apostolic church is the hope of the world and the message that we preach that sets people free and breaks the shackles of sin is still exactly what this world needs and the elders weren't wrong they they weren't wrong so as for us our pastors, we're, we're not going to be, gonna be uh, heading down that fool's path to try to remove ancient landmarks and, and take things out and tweak things a little bit and try to make this more modern and more acceptable because the world's just going to keep pushing. The world is never gonna love your Jesus and they're never gonna like you until they have an experience with Jesus and then they will love you for bringing Jesus to them. That's when the world is gonna love the church is when they are converted. Now, thankfully, even if you're simple, even if you don't have experience, even if you're not sure about everything and this is all new to you, God defends the simple person if they'll trust him. Look at this. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. You don't have to have a lot of head knowledge if you've got a heart passion to follow Jesus. He'll help you Figure out what you need to do. He'll help you make good decisions. He'll lead you and guide you. Look at this verse. The Lord preserveth the simple. You know, when you're when you're inexperienced, you can make a lot of mistakes. When you're young, you can make some decisions that hurt you and you live with consequences sometimes for years. But look what the psalmist said. I was brought low, but God helped me because God, he wants to preserve the simple. So that's one of the first characters we meet in Proverbs. And then there's another one. And this character is a little more sinister. He's the scorner. And the scorner, that word appears 13 times in Proverbs. And it comes from the Hebrew word lufs. And it means mouth. The word scorner in Hebrew means Mouth. It's a person who is maliciously critical. It's a person who holds authority in contempt, especially spiritual authority. And in Proverbs, they're also called the scoffer and the mocker. And their biggest problem is that they are not teachable. They refuse to receive instruction. Oh, they can dish out constant criticism, but they can't take a single suggestion. They can't accept correction because they despise anyone who tries to correct them. Proverbs 9 says, "Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate you; but you rebuke a wise man, he will love you." See, a scorner, they're they're so critical. They've got this higher than thou spirit in them and they they just don't have any respect for authority. But Proverbs teaches us over and over again that a humble person will receive correction. In fact, a humble person, they're smart enough to know that they should love correction. See, when you're a child and you're little, you, you don't like correction. When you're immature, you don't like correction. But some of us have lived long enough to grow up and realize, you know, our parents got progressively dumber until we were nearly at the end of our teenage years. And then we moved out and got married and had children. All of a sudden, our parents started getting smarter and smarter and smarter and smarter. And today, they're brilliant. It's amazing how our parents changed while we grew up. It's amazing. But see, the thing is that a scorner they, they they don't believe any of that. They think they're so smart, they don't want any correction. They don't realize that when you don't receive correction, you're like a little child that resists it. But when you grow up spiritually, you love correction. You love instruction. See, a, a humble person is wise enough to know, I don't know everything. But a scorner, they reject correction. Here's what Proverbs says in chapter 12. Whoso loveth instruction, loveth instruction knowledge. But he that hateth reproof, he's a brute. He's brutish. We all know oblivious people who have a major blind spot, and yet they're completely unaware of it. Maybe you've eaten with them in a restaurant, and they have a little leather right here between their teeth. And you want to say something, but you're not sure how they'll take it. And furthermore, you're kind of enjoying it because they're a little high and mighty sometimes. And you want to call the waitress over and talk to her for a little bit just so she can enjoy it too. You people, you Christian people would never do that. We all know oblivious people and it's not lettuce in their teeth. They've just got a major blind spot. Maybe it's that spirit of halitosis or whatever it is. Some of you are thinking, is that in the Bible? (laughs) Look it up. They're just completely unaware of their problem. Sometimes other people even talk about how oblivious they are when they're not around to hear it. that can be kind of funny, unless it's you. So the question is, who do you allow to speak correction into your life? Who is that person that you would allow to speak correction into your life? Because if you can't answer that question, that this is who has veto power in my life. This is who, if they say no, it's no, no questions asked. If you don't have that person, um, then the, the oblivious person with the major blind spot, it's you. Because you're lacking correction in your life. When we resist correction over and over and over again, and when we criticize those that God has placed in authority over us, the source of wisdom in our lives eventually gets choked out and it gets shut down and it gets uh, shut off in our lives. And sometimes we're guilty of that because correction can be painful. But as painful as correction can be, correction is never as painful as the consequences. Now, scorners hate, they despise correction. They don't think anybody is qualified to tell them what they should do. They're very critical of of authority, whether it be at work, whether it be at church, whether it be in family or in relationships. And here's what the Bible says about the scorner. The thought of foolishness is sin and the scorner, there's that strong word from Proverbs, the scorner is an abomination to men. The scorner, the person that rejects correction and authority They're an abomination to men. That's something God considers filthy and and loathsome and repulsive. Scorners are the self-appointed judge of everybody else in their life. And if you've got a scorner in your life that's critical and and, and, and they're just kind of nasty sometimes toward authority and toward anything else, and they've got nasty things to say about other people that are serving Jesus or about your church or about your pastor. If you've got those people in your life, you need to beware because scorners try to control you with their mockery and their cynicism and their criticism. They're actually trying to get you to join them and do the same thing. And there's only one way that the Bible tells us to deal with scorners. And here it is. And I love this verse. Proverbs 22 and verse 10. Cast out the scorner and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. Now maybe you have already sitting there, you've envisioned a brand new ministry for CCC and you are willing to head it up and cast out all the scorners out of the church and you're already thinking about what tools you will need and and where you will throw them when you cast them out of the church. And if that's you, let me tell you, I'd ask you to do something far more courageous than that. It would be easy to get two or three ushers and grab somebody by the hands and legs and throw them out the front door. It'll be easy. This is harder. When they start, say, I don't want to talk about that. That's much harder and much more courageous. When they start ripping apart your brothers and sisters in the family of God or your pastor that's so dedicated and serves this church so well or, or, or they start ripping apart something that happened in a service or somebody that did something and they're on that critical, skeptical, cynical... Once they get there, if, if you want to have a great ministry, shut them down. Cut them off at the pass. Say, you know what? I don't feel that way. And I really don't want to talk that way. And exit the conversation. You say, that's awkward. Mm-hmm. It takes a little courage. But if you want to obey the, obey the Bible, don't cast the scorner out of the physical church building. Cast the scorner out of your life, out of your conversations, out of your head. That takes a little bit more courage. It's a good idea. And we're going to take volunteers for that ministry. No. So everybody say simple. Everybody say scorner. And there are many other characters in Proverbs that I could have taught uh, on tonight. There's many that would be worthy of study. There's the sluggard and the stingy. There's the gossip and the glutton. There's the diligent and the drunk, the prudent, the poor, the rich, the righteous. There's the froward man and the wicked man. There's the strange woman and the virtuous woman. And, of course, there's lady wisdom herself. You could talk about any of them, and they'd be a worthwhile study, but there's one more character who makes far more appearances in Proverbs than anybody else because his spiritual condition or her spiritual condition is the most dangerous of all and maybe the most common of all, and they are called in Proverbs and in Scripture the fool. The word fool is kesele. In Hebrew, and it's a strong term in scripture. It comes from a root word that simply means fat. It's a picture of a person who is very smug and self satisfied. They're filled up with their own pride instead of hungering after God's wisdom. Now, a fool is not simple. They do know the difference between right and wrong. They do have some experience. They've been around a while. But here's the thing about the fool. They just don't care. I describe the fool when I read about them in Proverbs. They are intentionally oblivious because underneath all of the exterior, underneath everything that you could see about the fool and the symptoms in their life, the fool has a heart problem. And here's their heart problem. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, before you check off the box and say, well, I'm not an atheist, so I guess I pass. The fool hasn't said there is no God with his mouth. He never announced there is no God. He he didn't say it with his mouth. That's what a scorner might do, but that's not what the fool does. The fool has said there is no God in his heart. It's not that he has denied the existence of God outwardly, it's that he has rejected the authority of God inwardly. And so the fool lives however they want. If something that the pastor preaches agrees with them, they do it. If the pastor preaches something and they're not quite sure about it, they just ignore it to death. And, and so sometimes if you know a fool, uh, what you'll see is that their home life is vastly different than the way they act on Sunday or the way they pretend to be around the rest of the church members. That's, that's a fool. In their heart, they've said, there's no God. I, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to do that. Uh, Charles Spurgeon described the fool as a practical atheist. They're not an atheist that denies the existence of God, but in every practical sense, they live as though there was no God. They they just live however they want. That's the fool in Proverbs. And the fool is everywhere. He or she pops up on the pages of Proverbs in nearly every chapter and usually multiple times. And you can learn a lot about how you shouldn't live by reading how the fool thinks and acts And reacts. There's all kinds of things that you could uh, read about the fool. I'll I'll give you a, a bird's eye view here before we close. Proverbs 10 and 23 says, "It's as sport to a fool to do mischief, but a man of understanding hath wisdom." Everything's a game to the fool. They they can turn the most beautiful, powerful, meaningful move of God into a joke around a restaurant table. The fool isn't serious about anything. I'm not talking about having fun. I'm not talking about some kind of innocent conversation where we all share a laugh. I'm talking about something that's far more malicious under the surface. Everything's a gain to them. Church is a gain to them. The move of God's Spirit is a gain to them. Uh, their life and and how people live out their, their, their lifestyle convictions and godliness, that's just a, a joke to them. They do it if they feel like it. They ignore it at their will. It's a sport to a fool to do mischief. A fool just thinks their sin is no big deal. They can do whatever they want. And it's not just that, because a fool flaunts their sin to everybody around them. They talk about it all the time. They try to make other people feel like it's a joke or it's not that consequential. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools, it just constantly pours out foolishness. I'm not talking about somebody that's got an instinctive sense of humor. They're a joy to be around. I'm talking about somebody that can make something beautiful and powerful and spiritual into something that is mocked. That's a fool. And Proverbs gives one of its most disgusting and gross images ever when it talks about the fool in Proverbs 26. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. A fool keeps going back to the very same sin, to the very same mistake, to the very same issue over and over and over again. And in their heart, they're thinking, I'll just repent. It's no big deal. I I I can handle this. I'm not in trouble. That's a fool speaking biblically. they're, They're intentionally oblivious. They really know. If they just thought about it for five seconds, they really know that they shouldn't be doing that. But they just go back to it over and over and over again. They're intentionally oblivious. They are not simple. They're not naive. They know better, but they just keep going back to it. And it would be bad enough if the fool was left to his or her own devices and they destroyed their life and they messed up everything and God judged them it would be bad enough, but here's the problem. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. It's not enough to just say, we're going to put the fools all over there like a bunch of lepers and we're going to distance ourselves. See, the companion of a fool can be destroyed. And I've seen this in 40 years of ministry. I've seen so many decisions taken in families by a family member, maybe a mom or a dad. And they make this decision and it's a foolhardy decision. They didn't seek the counsel of God or the counsel of their spiritual authority. They just went ahead and made it. And for many of them, it's been an awful carnage, and and everybody in the family got hit with the shrapnel of one terrible ill-thought decision. That's the penalty of being around a fool. The companion of a fool shall be destroyed. You want to be very careful. If you're a, a leader of a family, a mom or a dad, you want to be very careful. The decisions you make about your children and your grandchildren and those that you impact in your family because you can make a decision and you might survive But this city that we live in is filled with people who probably will get to heaven, who probably will be okay at judgment day, but their kids are lost and their grandkids are gone because of one season, one decision, one bad uh, moment in their life when they just kind of flaunted the word of God and they headed off in a different direction. And now there's carnage and shrapnel from that decision. The common denominator between the simple and the scorner and the fool is that every single one of them needs to humble themselves and seek God's wisdom. And the reason that they resist is that God's wisdom, they know it, It only comes through the fear of the Lord. If you're gonna humble yourself and seek God's wisdom, then you've gotta reverence God's authority and you've gotta obey his commandments. And they resist that because that would mean surrendering their will. You know this scripture. We started with this scripture. Proverbs 9 and verse 10. First week of this series, the fear of the Lord, reverence for God's authority, obedience to God's commandments. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's ground zero in having a successful spiritual life and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And so there is one more person lurking around the pages of Proverbs. In addition to all the other cast of characters, the glutton and the stingy and, and all of those people, there's, there's the wise, the wise person there in the pages of Proverbs And here's what we know about wise people. Oh, they may not have a degree from the local university. They may never have studied abroad. They might not be looked at as the CEO of their corporation or company. But here's what we know about wise people in scripture. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. Your head can only perceive God's Commandments. You can understand what the preacher is saying. Your brain processes it and you can figure that out. You can perceive it. But sometimes perceiving it with your mind is not enough because the world and the flesh and the devil keep pushing you. Your mind can perceive God's commandments, but only your heart can receive God's commandments. I say it again tonight in this Bible study and I'm so honored and privileged to teach you, but if I could give you a piece of advice, sometimes you need to just pray and say, Jesus, I don't understand this fully. I'm not quite sure why the church teaches that or why pastor preaches that. I'm not sure why all these people of God, why they do that. I'm not fully convinced of it yet, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to obey you and I'm just going to do it. There is a blessing for obedience every Every single time in the scripture and a submitted heart saves your spiritual life. The Bible tells us that wisdom blesses our life like nothing else can. Wisdom is better than rubies and all the things that you could desire on this planet, they are not even close to it. They're not to be compared to it. During this series, it's just five weeks and we're not even done yet. During this series, Our church family and families within our church family have had to say goodbye to two godly, precious, wise women. And here's what Proverbs says about wise people they think in terms of eternity, not just in terms of this life. They are soul winners, they are prayer warriors. The Bible says in Proverbs, in an Old Testament book, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, that can't be soul winning in the New Testament sense because the gospel hasn't been given yet, but it's a powerful principle nonetheless. And the reason it refers to the tree of life is because what Solomon just said to us, is that when the fruit of their life is good and when the fruit of their life is attractive, they win people to them. You you take that into the New Testament, they're winning people to them and they're winning people to God. And we've said goodbye during this little series to two very wise ladies, either one of them, Sister Charlene or Sister Dorothy, either one of them, could be a picture lesson for Lady Wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And we were privileged to have them as part of our church family, and we are privileged to be motivated by their memory and by their lives. And I thank God that we got to have both of them as long as we did. Both of their husbands are here tonight, and grief is a funny thing, and I wouldn't want to offend them or, or, or make them feel awkward. But I'd just like this church to thank God for some of the great saints of God that have now gone on to their reward. We've said goodbye even during the last couple of years of the pandemic. We've said goodbye to some precious people. But we are the beneficiaries of their life and their testimony and their prayers and their witness and their efforts for this church. And I know this is a little different, and I'll conclude in just a second. But would you lift up your hands and your voice and just thank God that there are great saints of God that have fed into us and led us and prayed over us and and been an example to us. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for your great family. And I thank you, God, for people that have gone on before us. Um, It's always too soon to say goodbye. It's always hard to say goodbye, but Jesus, we are so thankful that we got to say, uh, to, to be with them and to learn from them and to be impacted by them. They were wise people. They lived this and they loved this and help us in this generation, those that are behind, those that are still here, those that still have to live in this earth, help us to be wise too so we can see them again. Help us to be wise too. Strangely enough, in Jesus' parable of the ten virgins, which represents the last days, and it represents the coming of the Lord, the people who are presented as opposing the wise virgins, they're not the simple virgins. They're too naive to know better. They're not the scornful virgins, critical of those that are living righteously. They're not, they're not simple. They're not scornful. The, the people that are opposed to the wise virgins are called the foolish virgins. They're intentionally oblivious, even as the clock is ticking down, even as the bridegroom is about to come. I don't know any other parable that Jesus told. I don't know any other image in the word of God that would better express our generation than that. That there are wise people who live every day ready, hoping, waiting for the coming of the Lord. We all want to live a little longer. We all want to enjoy families and children and grandchildren and church. But there's a group of wise people in this generation that they live every day with one eye on their earthly priorities, enjoying their life and enjoying their family, but they keep the other eye on the eastern sky and they are always ready. And so if tragedy happens or if sickness happens, if some accident happens, we don't have to wonder about them. We don't have to try to have some kind of last minute emergency prayer meeting to get them right with Jesus because they live every day wisely. They live every day in love with him. The foolish virgins, intentionally oblivious. I don't know any other image that better describes this generation when there's a bunch of people that are intentionally oblivious to the coming of the Lord. My goodness, the world is in Chaos, all of the signs that the elders preached to us 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And they said, it's coming, it's gonna happen. And when it does, you'll know. Now it's in our newspapers and on those news websites. It's everywhere in the media every single day. It's like this drumbeat of prophecy. It's like this drumbeat of fulfillment. It's like this drumbeat that says, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, and it just never stops. And the intensity is such now that it's easy to just tune it out. It's like having a railroad track running across your backyard. After a while, you don't even hear the commotion when the train comes because you're so used to it. And that's the generation we live in. That's the generation where you're either wise or you're foolish. You're either ready for the coming of the Lord, living for Jesus every day, expecting his return, or you're intentionally oblivious. Matthew wrote it down. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. They that were foolish, they took their lamps, they seemed the same, they looked the same, For a while, they acted the same, but here's the difference. They took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. You don't have to be around the Pentecostal church very long before we'll teach you what oil represents in the Bible. It represents the spirit of God, the anointing of God, the Holy Ghost. And so this is a direct picture of those that are topped up and tanked up with the power of God in their lives. The foolish have lamps, the foolish have a wedding garment, the foolish want to go to the wedding, they want to be connected to the bridegroom, but they have no oil. There's only one reason Jesus told this parable. There are not two reasons he told it, there's just one. He wanted us to know it's possible to go through all the same motions, but not have oil in your life and in your lamp. That's the only reason he told this. Think about it those five foolish virgins, they know what is right. They know the Lord is coming, but they just don't care enough to do anything about it. That is the spirit of the age we are living in, and it is the most dangerous spirit of all. If you're simple, we can teach you. If you're a scorner, Hopefully it'll get so bad that you'll shock yourself and say, I really need to turn around. But if you're a fool, you're just intentionally oblivious. You can get so that you don't even feel it. You're desensitized to it and you you don't even realize. It's the most dangerous spirit of all, the spirit of being intentionally oblivious because very soon the cry is gonna come like it did in Jesus' story. Behold, the bridegroom cometh Go ye out to meet him. It's possible to sit in a Pentecostal church in the year 2022 and almost get irritated when a preacher, a pastor, an evangelist gets up and starts talking about the coming of the Lord. That's for the old people. That's for the elders. That's for the previous generation. They didn't have too much to live for down here, so they believed in the coming of the Lord. We're quite smug and we're quite self-satisfied and we got everything together. We need to be very careful that in our generation, closer than ever to the coming, of the Lord that we don't fumble the ball and lose our dedication and let the oil leak out of our lives because Jesus is coming. Proverbs begs you, don't be a fool. Don't be intentionally oblivious to everything that God is trying to do and say in your life. Last scripture, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, reverence him, obey his word, and depart from evil. The world will tell you you're self-sufficient, you're a human being, you're smart, you can figure this out, you can come up with your own version or blend of morality, you can come up with your own version or blend of religion, you can do whatever you want because you're very smart, and Proverbs begs you, don't buy the lie, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in the ways of the world, but be submitted to God's will and be hungry for his presence. I'd like you to pray with me one more time at the end of this lesson. I thank you for your kind attention, but I really didn't come here just to kind of outline a book for you. I came here to challenge you to make sure that your lamp is full, that the oil's topped up in your life, that it hasn't been too many days or hours since you've talked to Jesus and let his spirit touch you because it's a treacherous day out there. Would you lift up your voice? Let's start with worship because that will get the oil flowing. That'll get the the oil moving. Would you just lift up your voice and worship God for a minute? And then we're gonna transition into prayer at the end of this Bible study. I'm so glad you're here tonight. But I want you to worship God right now because this is more than a lesson for us. Somebody could help this service by praying in the Spirit right now. That gets the oil moving, that gets the oil flowing. Et au roto rabassia sababacoraba et la bande rodo la besio sada rabot rabat la baha. So baha bossa I'm going to skip ahead. Would you just lay your hand on somebody and just pray with them, pray for them, especially if they're part of your family? Pray with them, pray for them. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't slow down, don't slack off. Just pray with intensity beside them, for them, with them. We don't want anybody left behind in this church family on Rapture Day. We want to take you all with us, but we got to be wise, we got to live wise. We can't, we, we can't put oil in your lamp. You've got to let Jesus do that.